Well, um, those of you that were here in, uh, in, in the holidays, uh, when we were looking at Bible heroes, may remember we did start to talk about the, the story of Gideon. And you might have found, remember that I was actually hiding behind this table. Can anyone remember what this table was? It was the wine press. That's what I was hiding. I had to shout out from behind there because I was so scared of the Midianites. That's right. And the Midianites were a people, one of enemies, the enemies of Israel. And every time, uh, every time Israel were just beginning to get going and they got their crops going, the Midianites would in, would invade Israel and they would trample on their crops and steal their cattle and, and, and make life absolutely miserable. And uh, then when Gideon was hiding in this wine press because he was so scared of Midian, the oh, Gideon, Midian, yep, okay, uh, God appeared to him, an angel appeared to him and spoke and told him that he was going to be the one who was going to be a mighty warrior, who was going to set people of Israel free from the power of the Midianites. And uh, Gideon said, well, I can't. I'm too small. I'm, I'm only weak. I can't do it. And God said, I am with you. And that's a good promise, isn't it? I am with you. And you will, will, will uh, destroy all the Midianites together. Fantastic. Yeah, we could say hooray for that one, perhaps, couldn't we? Anyway, now Gideon, here's the word of the Lord. And Gideon, um, I don't know what you would say if... God said to you, go and tackle the whole of this big, powerful enemy, what would you say? Why me? Find someone else. Find, you know, find Adrian. Adrian will do it. But not me. Yeah? Um, No, actually, Gideon was like us, and and he said to God, will you give me a sign? Uh, I, I... I just want to make sure that it's you talking to me and not somebody else. Because, you know, sometimes people get very wacky ideas uh, and people think that God has told them to do something. We hear this in our news, don't we? People who are so obsessed that their God has told them to do something and sometimes it definitely isn't God that's speaking. So Gideon said, uh, would you please give me a sign so that I know it really is you that's speaking to me? So, um, will you wait a minute, God? Do you ever say, will you wait a minute, God? Well, Gideon did. He said, will you, will you just wait while I go and prepare um, a, a, a meal? And God said, I will wait until you return. Isn't that good? Sometimes God does wait for us until we're actually ready. So Gideon went away and he took some of his precious wheat and he made some bread and he took a goat and he killed it and he cooked it and he brought it back uh, to the angel and in the wine press and... Uh, and he said, here, I want to worship you and, and put this down and give it to you as an offering. And the angel said, put it on that rock, put the meat on there, pour out the gravy and, uh, and put the bread on that rock. And then the angel pointed a stick. And as he pointed his stick at the rock, there was fire, it came from heaven, whoosh! And it consumed the meat and consumed the bread and, and then the angel disappeared. Now, how would you feel? If your offering that you brought and put on this table was consumed with fire, well, I think Gideon was pretty scared because he thought that maybe God would consume him as well. But God said to him, a very lovely word. Do you know what the word was? I'll tell you in Hebrew. Shalom. Peace. God said to him, peace. 
Do not be afraid, I am with you. And so Gideon knew now that this was God that had spoken to him. And then straight away, now he knows that it's God speaking to him, God said to him something he didn't want to hear. Now, the problem in Israel was that the Midianites, to see if you're still awake, were invading Israel. For what reason? Why, was, why were the Midianites invading, invading Israel? Because... Because the Israelites had disobeyed God. Instead of worshipping the real God, the real God that spoke to Gideon, they were worshipping Baal, which was a, was a false god. And they were making poles and they were making sacrifices and, and all over the country they were worshipping other gods. And God had told them in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. So they've been disobedient. So the first instruction that God gave to Gideon is, right, Gideon, your dad has been worshipping Baal. In his garden, he's got a, a big altar to Baal, and he's got a big pole for Asherah, and he, he makes sacrifices. Gideon, you've got to go and tear down your dad's altar. What? Oh dear, think of you children, if God told you to go and do something against your parents. But if you knew that your mum and dad had been naughty, it would be a scary thing, wouldn't it, you know, to do that to your dad, because you were going to get in big trouble, no doubt, if you, if you did it. So, but that's what Gideon was told to do. And do you know what Gideon did? He took ten people. Fair, fair play, Gideon, he did it at night, when no one was watching. He went out, and uh, he was ten people, and he tore down the altar... He chopped up the Asherah pole, and then God said to him, take the bull, your dad's second bull, the best, you know, the prize one, seven-year-old bull, and sacrifice it as, as an offering to me. And Gideon did that. And then he went home. I wonder if anyone noticed. Well, of course, when the sun came up, there was the Baal altar all smashed, there was a new altar in its place, and the Asherah pole was all chopped up and the bull was gone. And the people in the town said, oh, who did this? And they did, some, they did some investigative work, CSI, and they said, it was Gideon, son of Joash. So they said to Joash, Joash, you're going to have to punish your son. You're going to have to kill him because of what he's done. But you know what Joash said? He said, if Baal is a real god, he can defend himself. And is Baal a real god? No. But he was the god that the Midianites were worshipping. Missed you. Missed it. Missed it. Uh, and he was the false god that Israel had been worshipping. And uh, so Gideon now knew that God was the real god. But it wasn't quite enough for Gideon. So Bevan is going to come and read to us a story of what Gideon did next. We tried to do quite a big chunk of the story today. Um, but let's hear the word of God. Uh, what happened after Gideon had destroyed the Baal altar. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is a Jew only on the threshing, on the threshing on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will now know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, 
He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Now allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. Lovely. Thank you very much, Nevin. So that was what we often called Gideon's fleece. He wanted to be absolutely sure that it was God. So he gave a kind of a test and God showed him the right thing to do. Now, we haven't got really much time this morning, but I wonder, if you want to be sure that God is telling you to do something, what would you do? Ask him. In other words, pray. Yeah, pray. What else would you do? Talk to somebody else. That's really important. Yeah, talk to somebody else who, who will share with you and give them their, your, their wisdom. Maybe somebody a bit more mature than you uh, or somebody that you trust. Yeah. Anything else we would do? Yeah. Read his word because he would never tell you to do anything which went against what he said in his word. And uh, so you would do a number of those things to make sure that it was the right thing to do. And it was the right thing for Gideon to do. And next week, we'll find out how he beat the Midianites. Yes. Good. Well, perhaps if you uh, like to open your Bibles at, at Judges chapter 6, that would be really helpful. Um, we only had small part of the story read, but uh, in the light of, uh, of time, I think we will... Uh, ask you to, to follow through the story in your Bibles just to make sure uh, that, that we're, I've got it right. Um, so this, uh, this service uh, sermon is, is entitled Gideon Tested. And um, that is in two ways. Uh, there's a, kind of a two-way. We can either be tested or we can test. So Gideon tested God, but also we see in this passage uh, Gideon being tested by God. Uh, to make sure that he was ready for the service that lay in front of him. And we heard about how Gideon um, encountered God in a wine press on a pretty boring day. Threshing wheat is not a particularly exciting task. Um, and and uh, even more difficult when you're doing it in a wine press. It wasn't actually made for that purpose. There you are. Um, and he's there because of his fear... Uh, you don't have to shout boo for the Midianites now, by the way. Um, he Fear of this very vicious uh, enemy that kept uh, coming and the insecurity that Israel felt. They got, every time they planted crops, they were destroyed. Um, every time, you know, they put their animals out, then these people marauded across their countryside and, and raped their kingdom, basically. And God spoke to Gideon in the, in the midst of that fear and insecurity, I will be with you. I haven't actually counted, but I don't know how many times in the Bible those words, I will be with you, actually there. Uh, there must be a, a very large number in the various kinds of forms, uh, not least, of course, in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. Um, and so that is a, a very common theme throughout the Bible, God is with us. And so this I will be with you is a reminder of God's covenant promises. So what God said to Gideon was not new. It was something that he'd spoken to the people of Israel many times in hundreds of years before Gideon's story. And at the heart of God's covenant promises uh, and instructions, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read these. Fear the Lord your God, 
Serve him only. Do not follow other gods. Pretty clear, isn't it? There is only one God who created the world and who drew out a people, Israel, through Abraham. There's only one God. So fear him. Don't fear the other gods. And don't serve the other gods. Serve him only. And at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no gods before me. Do not make an idol. Two, two of the commands, which really are saying the same thing. Make God your centre of worship. And then... Um, the other thing, apart from fear and insecurity, the cynicism. Uh, who do you trust in these days? I mean, I've, I keep coming back to this theme. Who can you trust to be telling the truth nowadays? Really, really, really hard, isn't it? And, and it, it actually, the, the cynic in all of us says, I won't believe anyone. I won't, I won't take anyone seriously. Um, but... Um, Gideon's got this problem. Is this really the voice of God speaking to me? And, and then the other verse that comes to him, maybe from Deuteronomy chapter 6, apart from fear the Lord your God, is do not test the Lord your God, as you did at Massey. Uh, putting God to the test is actually something which Scripture says we shouldn't do. And so, to a certain extent, Gideon is, is kind of pushing the boundaries here, isn't he? Testing God the way he is. But... Uh, Let's see. Gideon says, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. So what are the signs then? Well, first of all, um, worship. First heading, uh, uh, there are two headings today. One of them is worship, and the second one we'll come to later is mission. But we're starting with worship. And so Gideon's first test is actually to worship God and see if it is indeed the true God that he's actually worshipping. And uh, he's even quite cheeky enough to say, Lord, will you wait while I go and get my worship? Uh, worship in those days wasn't quite as um, neat and sterile, perhaps, as our worship today. Um, I was at the Baptist College um, the other day uh, interviewing ministerial students, and uh, the Bible reading in the morning um, was from, in the morning prayer, was from Leviticus. Uh, and it was all about the, the, the Day of Atonement, so I said to these students, aren't you rather pleased that, that ministerial training does not now consist of how to catch, skin, and slaughter a bull? Because if it did, the college would be a rather messy place. But worship in those days involved offering a sacrifice. That was what, you look at the Old Testament, Leviticus particularly, full of instructions on how to worship. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to worship that way now because we have the perfect sacrifice in Jesus so God says I'll wait for you to prepare that sacrifice and Gideon comes back with his offering now just have a look at this offering um, one ephah of flour now uh, I don't know uh, uh, Karen in your recipe book does it tend to work in ephahs not really um, I know you do a lot of cooking but an ephah is 22 litres of flour now that is a lot of flour. Now if you think what Gideon is doing, he's threshing wheat in a wine press so that the Midianites won't come and steal it. 22 litres is a lot of flour. This is not a token offering. This is a very generous offering in, in, a, in a land where flour is very on short supply. Very precious. And a goat. And again, the Midianites would take all their animals and kill them as well. So this is a very generous offering. And God responds by consuming with fire. 
No wonder uh, Gideon is fearful. He's probably heard stories about Moses and, uh, and um, the, the greats when, when fire came down out the sky. Um, <clears throat> but God speaks. And, and I think it's really important to look at this passage. If you've got one of those uh, Bibles with the words of God or words of Jesus in red, I don't think it does it in the Old Testament, does it? Only the New. But to look at what God actually says in this passage, peace, shalom, deep kind of harmony type peace. Do not be afraid. That's the word that he needs to hear because our God is an awesome God, one of the songs that we sing. He's not a, an almighty, he's almighty. Uh, and yet, here he is saying peace to Gideon. So what does Gideon do next? He builds an altar. Gideon's first response to this God is worship. And this, notice, this is private worship. Gideon is on his own. He is worshipping God on his own. And that's where the whole of his uh, call and his security comes from. And worship is so key to our lives, isn't it? Seeking God... Uh, but I would suggest seeking God for himself, not for what we can get out of him. Seeking God for who he is, not just seeking God's will, but seeking God. Seeking God. One thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Seek him in his temple. That's Gideon's priority, and we need to uh, just come back to that. Right, the first challenge. The first challenge uh, for Gideon is to destroy his father's Baal altar. And we've already talked about that. What a, what a, a thing that would be to actually go against your father. I mean, obviously in, in, uh, in the, the days when your father was kind of the head of the household and you utter respect, uh, you wouldn't even say boo to him, you know. But actually to go and destroy his Baal altar was pretty tough first calling. But the important thing is, if Gideon is to serve God, the first thing is to get to the heart of Israel's problem. The problem is not the, not the Midianites, the problem is their idolatry. And the Midianites are there attacking because of the idolatry of Israel. So it's no good just attacking the enemy outside, he has to attack the enemy inside. He has to get to the heart of the problem to destroy the altar for this false god, Baal. So Gideon takes a team. He doesn't do it on his own. He takes ten people with him. Uh, and, and he goes and he, uh, he destroys the altar. He takes the prime bull, the number two bull, we're told. I don't know. It's the second bull. I don't know why, actually, the second bull. But that particular one, maybe it was his special one he was saving for a special occasion, I don't know. Um, and uh, he destroys the altar and the Asherah pole. He even uses the Asherah pole to cook the bull. That's pretty good use of resources, isn't it? And no wonder, in the morning, the men of the town are angry. And they're expecting Joash to take revenge on his son when they find out who's done it. But then Joash has this wise comment. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself. And Gideon at this point gets a new name. They call him Jeroboam. Jeroboam, which means let God contend. Let God contend. You know, if he's a real god, let's fear him. If he's a false god, 
what can he do? And absolutely, people are worshipping a God who can do nothing. That's at the heart of idolatry. A God that can't save, and he can't even defend himself. And that reminds us what actually Gideon's real name is. Gideon means one who cuts down. Isn't it amazing, when you give a child a name, in the Bible, very often, their name was prophetic, and the name actually uh, determines what they were there to do. Gideon was the one who was to cut down the, 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 the Asherah pole and eventually to cut down the, the Midianites as well. So once he's destroyed his father's Baal altar, the next thing he does, he builds a proper altar. Proper job. I like that one, proper job. This is a proper altar, not one that, builds, that, 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 that worships a false god, but one that worships the true god. This is now public worship. This is in a public place. This is in the company of ten of his team. Uh, uh, and uh, it's a public worship. So we start off with private worship, but then public worship as well. You see, religion, uh, faith is not just a private affair, is it? Certainly Christianity is about being part of a community of faith where we worship in public. And now we come to the second challenge the second challenge, having, having dealt with his father's internal uh, problem, now he has to face, which arguably would be the biggest challenge, the Midianite enemy. They're a very numerous nation. There are hundreds of thousands of these people. And Israel are outnumbered. And uh, they're, a, they're a real menace and a real threat. So we now come from worship, we come to mission. We come from the worshipping of God now onto the mission that God has called us to. You see, worship uh, is, is not meant to just be what you do in this kind of context. Worship is, uh, must lead into mission. So we're hearing about our Gideon friends. Um, you know, they don't just read their Bible and talk about it. They actually do something about it by getting copies printed and give them to people. So worship must lead to mission. But mission that isn't underpinned by worship isn't Christian mission. It's kind of like doing your own thing. So these mission and worship go very close together. This is God's, Gideon's calling to, to tackle this vast enemy. Now, what triggers, uh, you, if you think back in verse 14, this is what God initially says, uh, you will strike down all the Midianites together. That's his call. What triggers this in verse 33 is the Midianites cross the Jordan. So, uh-oh, here they come again. You know, it must be awful, mustn't it? I mean, it, it, you know, try to put yourself in the, in the place of somebody in, in one of these towns in Syria, uh, uh, just kind of waiting for the rebels or whoever it is, the Assad's people, to come across their border and to appear again. Oh no, here comes another bombardment. They must have been in absolute fear. And when thousands of Midianites cross the Jordan, they know they're in for it again. And it's at that point, the Bible tells us here, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. After all this worship and preparation and testing, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now what's that about? In the RSV, instead of 
the Lord came upon, it says the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. The Spirit took possession of him. Now, when we think about when the Spirit takes possession of people, we tend to, we tend to sort of automatically think of some kind of ecstatic experience um, where their person's out of control. And sometimes we hear about these strange phenomena that go on. Well, I'm not denying all of that. But here, um, the context is, is rather the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. The Spirit became incarnate in Gideon. Gideon became an extension of the Lord. When the Spirit comes upon us, then actually what we are doing is what the Lord is doing. And what the Lord is doing is through us. Uh, Or another expression, God wrapped in Gideon. How about that? God wrapped in Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord in him. Uh, And David Jackman says, Gideon became an instrument that God was going to use. That's a great place to be, isn't it? The Spirit of the Lord comes on so that we become available to God to be used as an instrument. So what does Gideon do next? He blows a trumpet. And why does he blow a trumpet? Because Gideon is not called to be a lone ranger hero. He is called to be a leader. And what is a leader? What's the definition of a leader? Someone people follow, absolutely. Uh, if you're a leader, but no one follows you, then you're not a leader. See? Uh, and so Gideon knew that this was his task, to be a leader, but not to do the whole job himself. He mobilizes the rest of the people. And so he blows a trumpet, and, uh, and we find that uh, a lot of people rally around him. Now, with that, we're kind of stretching into the next into the next group, uh, the next part of this story. Now, so we won't mention who comes, but when we come to look at how he handles success and criticism, he doesn't call everybody. He only calls some of the tribes. He doesn't call the most successful and big and powerful tribe. He calls a smaller group. Okay, so that that well, that will come back. To, we'll come back to that in how he fights the battle a little bit later. And then finally. He lays a fleece. I don't know if you can actually see, but in the background there is actually a fleece there. I just, just thought I need to explain that to you. Um, it doesn't come out terribly well. Laying a fleece. Is that a sign of weak faith? Um, is it a double checking of God's will? Is it seeking God's will or is it confirming God's will. How many, how many of you have uh, ever laid a fleece of sorts? Some, some of you have? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, think this, I don't think the fleece actually was a sacrifice in that it didn't cost Gideon anything, did it? He just put a fleece out. Uh, he was testing, he was trying to test uh, God's will, but I wonder if yet again in his ear was ringing Deuteronomy uh, in chapter 6, do not put the Lord to the test. And I wonder how God was feeling after all he'd done uh, to, to show his will. Uh, but that, it, we, let's not go there. Uh, Gideon does it. He, he puts out a fleece just to make sure. He wants to be absolutely sure. Now, a friend of mine um, from our church not long after we got married, uh, on one occasion uh, was sharing with me and some others that, um, that, that 
he was amazed. He thought God had told him to do something. I can't even remember what it was now. But he took all these different signs that God had given him that this was the right thing to do. And at the end of it, we said, well, did you do it? No, he said. I said, well, you've got all the signs. Um, so sometimes we can have the signs, but we don't do it. Sometimes we really don't want to do it. Uh, and what comes to mind is Adrian Plass and his diary, the first sacred diary. And God wants him to do something, and he really doesn't want to do it. He says, Lord, I'm going to lay out a fleece. If in the next ten minutes, a midget in a Japanese admiral's uniform comes to my door, then I'll do it. Well, you know, we, that, that's control, isn't it? That's manipulation. So I don't know what's going on here, but um, there are two extremes. When we hear... Someone says to us, God told me to do this, or God says this. There is the unquestioning acceptance. So we might say, well, God said it, I'll do it. Or we might be on the other end of the spectrum where we're rather cynical. Well, you know, that person's always saying God told them this. and You know, we can, we can be... But somewhere in the middle is a healthy scepticism that says, actually, yes, it may be what God is saying, but I need to be sure. I need to test this. Is it really you speaking to me, says Gideon? Very good question. Is it really you? If it is, let's do it. If it isn't, well, we need to be, be wary. But I think we're probably better off to be willing to step out in faith rather than be too cynical. So I think there's a going to happy medium here. So how do we test? Well, we, we already got some answers earlier. Um, scripture. God will not tell you to fly an aeroplane into... A, a skyscraper. But those people that did that sincerely believed that God had told them to do it. But our God would never tell anyone to do that. So we need to be careful of those extremes. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 uh, is, a, is a great passage. It says, uh, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Uh, test everything. Hold on to what is good. Isn't that good? Test everything, hold on to what is good. But, but at the same time, don't put out the Spirit's fire. That would be the worst thing to happen to Gideon, wasn't it? To put out the fire that had been poured upon him. Uh, we actually need the fire. Prayer, listening, waiting. Sometimes we need to wait a while because what God says to us is not going to happen immediately. Maybe he's building us up, ready for something. We need to wait. And as we were already uh, told, other people... It's the kind of thing that we maybe share with our home group or with our uh, leaders or our pastor or, or our friends or whatever uh, to pray about it, to test, is it right? Look at the circumstances of life. Sometimes God speaks to us through the circumstances that we're in. But ultimately, it's about a step of faith. Ultimately, no matter how much assurance Gideon has got, he's going to have to not only blow his trumpet, but he's going to have to step out in faith and that's that's the next chapter so we are called to seek God for himself not just for his will and he says I'm going to be with you now Gideon is he impertinent testing God like this well he apologizes to God certainly on the second fleece I'm sorry Lord but just one more and God shows his gracious patience by saying all right I'll do the other way around with the fleece. Gideon has genuine intent, but he's already seen an angel in a wine press. 
He's already got God's word and his promises from the covenant. He's already put his goat and bread out and seen the fire consume it. He's already pulled down the Baal altar and his father has not killed him. Um, the spirit has come on him and given him the certainty. And now he's done two lots of fleece. Surely he doesn't need any more proof. But notice Gideon's ministry emerges in stages. First of all, a private encounter with God. Secondly, uh, taking that to his family and his friends and dealing with the, the Baal altar. Now he's moving out to the tribe. And finally, he will confront the enemy, the Midianites. But that's next week. And it reminds us also that Jesus said, if you are faithful with a few things... I will put you in charge of more. So I wonder where we are on that scale. Are we still testing the shallow waters? Are we ready to move slightly deeper? Is God calling us to do something even more challenging?